This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Sustainability has become such a buzzword that it has almost lost its meaning. But recent natural disasters all over the world, fires, floods, hurricanes, and more, have made clear the impact of global warming. But it's going to take a lot more than tossing a plastic bottle into a recycling bin or even installing solar panels to come to grips with our ever-growing carbon emissions. And unfortunately, two industries among the biggest contributors to environmental degradation are fashion and home. Both industries consume a great deal of raw materials and are notorious for waste. Both are reliant on shipping vast quantities over vast distances. And both promote the newest and the latest, barking desire and encouraging trends and fads and increasing consumption. But that is beginning to change, and I'm pleased to have with us today two women who are leading the charge in making fashion and home more aware, more responsive, and more environmentally sound. They are former colleagues who remain great friends, and they have lots to tell us about how we can lessen our impact on the planet while still being creative and fashionable. First is Jennifer Say, who is Executive Vice President and President of Levi's Brand, where she leads a team that focuses on marketing, design, merchandising, and brand experience. She was instrumental in Levi's launching last year its own re-commerce website to sell vintage denim and instituting a buyback program to give a second or third life to vintage pieces. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. We also have our own Anna Brockway, who co-founded Cherish with her husband, Greg. Cherish will soon be releasing the industry's first home furnishings resale report. And Anna is going to fill us in on how home furnishings has become the fastest growing category in e-commerce, why the resale market is skyrocketing, 66% of American households now contain vintage and pre-owned pieces, and how consumer habits, especially among the young, are changing. Hello, Anna. Hi, Michael. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. So glad we're doing this. I want to get a sense, and Jen, I want to start with you, because I do think that there's been, you know, a growing awareness. I mean, it's hard to miss if you even look at the weather report or look out the window, that the world is changing, the climate is changing, and that clearly there is human impact. And I want to get a sense from you, like you've started this very innovative project at Levi's. I mean, we've all loved vintage denim and worn denim and all of that. But now you've taken that on rather than just selling new, you're taking that on. And I want to get a sense from you. Is that something that was inspired by customer demand? Was it your company and your team that felt that this was important? How did that come about? The first thing I would say is it's part of a larger strategy around sustainability that we have been embarked upon. I mean, Officially, you know, over 10 years, but, you know, arguably Levi's were made with sustainability in mind from day one because they're built with quality and meant to last. And there's nothing more sustainable than keeping things longer, not disposing of them. I've worn some of my Levi's for decades. That's right. So, um, you know, it's part of a multi-pronged strategy um, to ensure great quality that allows the consumer to keep their jeans a lifetime. I mean, I have jeans that I've been wearing since I first met Anna, which I think was in 1994, and we worked together (laughs) on Levi's. Um, I feel very grateful that I can still fit 
fit in them. Um, but it's also about the way we make our products, our new products, using more recycled content, using more sustainable fibers, whether it's organic cotton or hemp, uh, more sustainable processes like our waterless finishing. But then it's also about circularity. And that includes secondhand, which we launched last year. And You know, I think for a very long time, we'd looked around and we saw, if you go in any vintage store, any secondhand store, I mean, anything from Goodwill to sort of a high-end vintage store, Levi's are 90% of the denim on the rack, right? I mean, I'm not going to malign any of my competitors, but (laughs) Levi's and 501 in particular, which is a, you know, Mm -hmm. a fit, are about 90% of of the jeans being sold. And so we knew this was an opportunity and we didn't really for a long time, know how to kind of get our arms around it, if you will. So we were participating, but we weren't officially participating. So the brand was there, but we weren't actually driving any of it. And we just realized as we saw the emergence of so many uh, secondhand sites like, you know, Grailed and Mercari and Depop. I know this isn't in the furniture space, so not as familiar maybe to you. And then the rise amongst Gen Z, which is a huge priority for us. You said two thirds of American households have a secondhand piece of furniture in their house. I would include mine in that. Two thirds of Gen Z consumers have bought secondhand vintage used clothing in the last year. And it's always popular amongst younger generations, but it's more popular now amongst Gen Z. And it's interesting because it's not because of the sustainable aspect. It's because they feel they can find something unique that not every single person is going to be wearing. So all those things sort of converged and we realized, you know, we can get in this business and we can curate the very best of Levi's on our own site. Because it does reflect on the brand. It absolutely does. Whether the piece is brand new from this season or 25 years ago or 50 years ago. And there is a consumer, a young one in particular, I would count my kids in this, that they they want that secondhand. Mm-hmm. It's a, What's better than a perfectly worn in pair of 501s? I mean, mm-hmm. nothing. And they just feel they can find something more unique. They love the hunt. It needed to be commercially priced. You know, we had launched something called Levi's Authorized Vintage back in 2017, which is sort of high-end vintage you know, 200, 300 and up. And that has a very discreet consumer. But for younger kids, you know, in that Gen Z 18 to 25 age break, they want unique product that's used, gently worn, beautifully worn, that's in their price point. You know, we're talking 30 to $50. Um, And so secondhand is, you know, our answer to that. And we try to put forth a very curated assortment, the very best of, so you're not having to dig through the bins at Goodwill, although they like that. They do like that. Um, (laughs) But it's operationally challenging, as Anna knows, and she's told me over the years about the challenges. I mean, every item is one for one. Right. You right. know, you can't like take an item that's popular yeah. and Give say, me 200 Let's make of those. Right. you can't do it. So, <laughs> you know, how do you meet the demand with a constant flow of inventory? How do you just operationally service it? Right. The press and the buzz is amazing and um, and the demand is there. So we got to work out some of the kinks. Right. And I often ask Anna for tips there. But we see this ultimately as something we can go global with. Right. Now, Anna, obviously... In terms of sustainability, Cherish had a big head start because most of what you were dealing with from the beginning were vintage pieces yes. and items. Now, I know Cherish now sells a fair amount of new stuff as well, but I think the motivation that you recognized early on was that vintage was, as Jen was saying, distinctive right. and different. So tell me a little about the report as well. I mean, I had a quick yeah. look at it, but... Well, 
I mean, just getting to the the founding of Cherish and kind of the insights there, I mean, Jen really hit on it in talking about fashion, which is, I think, for us, one of the things that, you know, I'd love to say I started this off because I was a climate warrior, but really, it's because <laughs> I like unique, one-of-a-kind style. I mean, you know, I didn't end up working on Levi's and falling in love with the vintage side of the business by accident. And right. so, And so that was really the impetus behind Cherish was the more I learned about resale in the furniture industry, I realized the product's cooler because it's one of a kind and it has character and patina and you And it's often better made. It's often better made. Mm-hmm. It's often better priced and it's immediately available. Right. So like, why would I not look here first? And so the practical and style benefits along with value sort of came together for me in like a really important kind of triangle of benefits for a customer. And I was like, this seems like an opportunity. And so that that's really, I think, what we saw. And also nobody really addressing it in an easy-to-access way. So that that was the, the insight into Cherish. I mean, in terms of the resale report, I think what we've learned over time is that, particularly amongst younger consumers, but frankly, at this point, I think it's a universally understood uh, fact that sustainability is really important to how people choose product going forward and what they want in their lives and in their homes. And that increasingly the idea of buying resale, and I I really credit the fashion business for teaching this to all of us and kind of pioneering the way, is incredibly, is, is just becoming more and more of a first choice for folks. And so we see a whole generation of customers who've been educated, again, primarily through the fashion business, but increasingly through home, that this is an easier and simpler way to shop and that the sustainability benefits are massive. And that's really what the report focuses on is the state of the resale industry in general, because what we see are two really power in in the home furnishing space, two really powerful trends coming together. One is the move to online in general, new or resale. right. Retail has totally been changed, just like the media business was changed by the internet. Yes, it's been totally changed. And even before COVID, home furnishings were the fastest growing e-commerce category in the U.S. And of course, that just skyrocketed during the pandemic with everyone spending so much time at home and nesting. And then secondly is this move towards re-commerce. And so when you put e-commerce and re-commerce as these two huge explosive kind of seismic shifts in our industry, it's a really powerful intersection and we're just seeing incredible opportunity. To your point, 85% of a product on our site and our sales are in the vintage, right. antique, one-of-a-kind, pre-owned. Still, that's high. Very space, high. That's very high. Still very high. And what we're seeing is, is that, you know, what we didn't expect was how with the global supply chain problems right now, the benefits of buying vintage are even more pronounced because, you know, there's no 40-week lead time. It's like, it's there, it's it's as long as it takes us to roll a truck to your house. So that is a a huge asset as well that was sort of unexpected coming out of COVID. But, you know, the supply chain problems are significant. You know, talking with manufacturers who we work with and folks that are just friends in the industry, I mean, a lot of people don't think this is going to reconcile itself until 2023. Right. So it's a big right. time for consumers to have to relearn and, and adopt new ways of shopping that, that I think is going to have a lasting impact, which is frankly all to the benefit of the environment. Sorry, I right. talked for so long. No, no, no. <laughs> I did too. I did too. No, I no, no. No, no, no. When it comes to talking, you have the two right girls. I wasn't yeah. worried. Um, now, I want now not to be a cynical or anything, I'm gonna, yeah. but I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little because I know that both you know, fashion and home design 
maybe home design a little bit less, but still prevalent, are, you know, susceptible to trends. Yeah. And fashion. We all want, like you said, you want to be distinctive. You want to be new. You want to have something that's different. But so how much of this interest in vintage on the part of the public, not so much designers or fashion, how much of this is just it's trendy and of the moment? Because I remember 20 years ago, there was a rage for vintage that lasted for several years and then it sort of faded away. And do you think the environmental awareness is going to make this current interest lasts longer or is it still going to be susceptible to somebody, you know, five years from now comes out with a fashion line that knocks the world crazy or whatever, and everybody has to have it. Jen, what do you think? That's a big one. I think there's a few things. I think you have the industry moving towards it and you have consumers and that's Mm -hmm. kind of what it takes, right? It takes both. And, you know, for us, as I stated, we see younger consumers buying secondhand. They always have mm-hmm. because it's cheaper, frankly, um, and it's fun and they have the time it's for cool. the hunt. But it's in much right. bigger numbers right. than it ever was before. Right. And I think that to some extent is a reaction to this sort of mass commercialization, right? And they don't want to show up at the party on the date in the same you know, shirt and pants that were massively advertised by every retailer. You know, they want to... They want to look a little the same, but different is what we always joke about, right? right. <laughs> like, they, I, think, I think it's also distribution, though, Jen, don't you? I mean, it's that to your point, it's not that people don't like digging through the vintage and thrift stores, and certainly the hunt is a huge part of the vintage yeah. thing. But the fact that you can access all these great jeans, or in our case, home furnishings, online from the convenience of your bed, like, it, that, that part's new. Yeah, it's converged. And yeah. on, you know— these websites, which are sort of app driven, that are amazing. I mean, I said Grailed, Mercari, Depop. I, I, kids just, I mean, I, Mike, I have two, an 18 year old and 20 year old, and they're literally on it all the time, just looking for that item to pop pop up. And I'm not even addressing categories like sneakers, which is like a whole separate mm-hmm. set of sites, right? To find that special, unique pair at a pretty good price. But I think for the consumer, it's also, you know, the apparel industry or the consumer, buy, we buy twice as much and wear it half as long as we did 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. Think about it. When we were all kids, you went shopping twice a year, maybe. You went back to school, you bought everything, and you wore it until they were floods and they didn't fit you anymore. <laughs> um, and then maybe a little bit in spring. Kids shop all the time now. It's just constant. So we buy twice as much. We wear it half as long. Here's a stat that's going to horrify you. Women in the United States, on average, buy nearly 100 items of clothing a year and wear each one, on average, less than three times. Wow. That's simply not a sustainable, but I don't even mean sort of green, like that. You just can't. There's not enough landfill in the world to— And and even when we— think we're doing the right thing and we take those items to goodwill when we don't wear them anymore, only 10% of them end up back on on the floor. Most of them are still incinerated or sent to landfill, possibly recycled into other goods. And so we just can't keep doing that. You know, it's been driven by the fashion industry, but the fashion industry is now saying, okay, this overproduction and overconsumption is not 
going to work long term. And the consumer is is rejecting it or starting to reject it. So I think the two are sort of converging, if you will. But it's hard because the industry itself has has bad practices. You know, we've you know, we've made product that doesn't last, that's not meant to last, that's meant to be worn a couple times and and look great at that party and then be thrown away and never worn again. Now, Levi's has a head start here because we've never made product that way. We've always had the highest quality standards, but it's not just quality. We've always made product with timeless style in mind. So yes, we want to be on trend, but we never want to be so kind of at the edge of it that you can't wear that pair of Levi's 10 years later or 20 years later. They always look good. And so, you know, this notion of timeless and timely is very much our design sensibility. And then you marry that with quality and we're perfect for this space. We don't actually have to change what we do. Now, we do need to remind people. Right. And we we started to do that this year uh, with a campaign we just ran. It's called Buy Better, Wear Longer. And the impetus of that was to just to encourage people to love the things you buy and live with them longer. Don't buy something if you don't love it. Don't buy something if you mean to only wear it one time. We all have those items. And then we all have that part of our closet, which is maybe the smallest part, the stuff we wear over and over and over again. Right. Just buy that stuff. Yeah. That's all we're saying. Just buy that stuff. You might have about 100 items, but there's maybe six that you wear repeatedly. I think one of the really cool things that you guys have shown a light on that other brands, particularly in the home space, should pay attention to is that I think originally the old-fashioned thinking for many brands was that anything that's being sold with my name on it in a secondhand marketplace of any kind, I don't want anything to do with it because it looks downscale and it's dusty and, you know, whatever. It's not true. It actually underscores the enduring style and quality of your brand if you, Absolutely. if you think about it that way. So, like, I look at, you know, Hermes handbag. Like, those trade oftentimes for more than what they sell at retail, If you know, depending on... Right. It's like, it's a huge statement that this bag has, from a style and a make standpoint, stood the test of time. And I think what you guys are doing is really interesting because you're saying, like, let's take that on and celebrate that and using that to both tell your sustainability story, but also kind of underscore those benefits of your brand that have always been super important. Yeah. And provide that sort of, like I said, curate assortment that's the very best of. And we can curate stories within that as you guys do, right? Yeah. If something is trending and it's really kind of, it's coming, but it's not here yet, you know, giant boot cut is coming. Low rise is coming. Oh back. no. I You'll have to happy sit to know. You'll be happy to know. I think it's, I think that ship has sailed for me, but we'll no just, more yeah. triscuits. But if we know if we know it's coming, we can go source all right. the low-rise yeah. Levi's right. from the early 2000s that you and I marketed yes. um, and really lead the trend through vintage. Yeah. But I think it's so interesting, too, because I remember when we, when we were working together, and I see this in the home space because we get asked this a lot, is that everything that's going to happen, every trend starts in vintage first, right? Like we used to always go to all the little vintage stores and say, hey, what's selling? What's moving? Because that's where what we would consider the early adopters would go to shop first. And I think it's still true in home. I mean, we get asked all the time, what are you guys seeing trend? Because we have a forward customer. We have 600,000 items, each of which is like unique and one of a kind and tagged with data. And so we can see things before other people can. And so that must be another really important thing that you're starting to see. Absolutely. It's like a focus group. It absolutely is. And I mean, we obviously are tracking young people quite closely because they're the ones that not just sort of lead the trends, but influence the trends. And everyone 
older consumers look to them to what's cool. They don't adopt it, you know, wholesale, but, you know, maybe a modified version of it. And as the 80s and 90s trend was coming and happening, it started first and secondhand. Yeah. People were buying Levi's loose jeans from the 90s, which you and I also worked on, <laughs> um, which oh is God. crazy. So we, you know, we curated a secondhand story around loose, but we also launched contemporary version of loose now that is sort of wearable for today because there is something different um, that's not as embraced necessarily by a more mainstream consumer about the vintage or the secondhand products. So we can, we do exactly the same, exactly what you described. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. Well, it seems in a way that what you're saying in fashion, Jen, is it was it's kind of a rebellion against fast fashion, which was so big, you know, 10, 15 years ago. H&M and all this, everything was out there, everything new every day. And all of that stuff was designed, I think, to be thrown away. And then now kids don't want to look all the same. They're looking for that distinctive piece. And then there was a big social media uproar when they found out that H&M was destroying tons of stuff and all these, mm-hmm. fa- you know, fast fashion people were destroying mm-hmm. stuff and putting it into landfills. And so I think it was a, a double-edged sword there to really do that. And I think that little bit of that is happening in home furnishings, mm-hmm. Anna. You know, yeah. I mean, all the cheap imports from China. I mean, I do think there's a growing awareness of quality, maybe because of COVID and be- people being at home and sitting on that cheap chair that was kind of fun and funky at the moment, but you know, it's not holding up. It's not comfortable. Yeah. So I've got a couple of good facts for you. So first off, 80% of discarded home furnishings end up in landfill. Only yeah. 0.3% even can be recycled, let alone wow. are. Wow. 45% of greenhouse gas emissions come from manufacturing in total. And when you look at disposal of like what we call fast furniture, 12 million tons of home furnishings are thrown out each year in the U.S. If you go back to 1960, it was two. So that's a 6x wow. increase. And it's wow. because of exactly what you're talking about. So I think like Levi's and with probably a little bit of a like reverse emphasis, we've focused on vintage, but also when we go into newly made, we really try to do it with a focus on making sure that we're offering brands that we know could be resold on the site in four mm-hmm. or five years, you know, or 10 or 20 or 50 years, which is not uncommon for a lot of the vintage pieces that we sell. So I think it's that kind of focus on enduring style and quality that's really important. Yeah, I think quality is sort of the unsung hero of all this. Like you were saying, Hermes bags, like nothing's more beautifully made than an Hermes bag. And that's why people... Well, maybe a pair of five ones. Um, okay. But maybe. it's interesting. You, you, you know, I think... Brands used to, as you said, think, oh gosh, we don't want to associate with those right, piles it was icky. of clothes. It was but icky. there were always some brands that were coveted on the secondhand yep. market. Levi's, mm-hmm. some luxury goods. Levi's is unique in the non-luxury space yep. for being coveted. Yes. Um, Nikes, Nike. Jordans in particular, yeah. but a lot of other brands that you can still find readily in secondhand. It's not 
necessarily because they're coveted as secondhand or because they've gotten better with age. It's because they're plentiful or they've held up. It's hard to say, but there's very few brands priced fairly commercially that are coveted. But I think a lot of what you were saying, Jen, is a lot of what's in the thrift shops now is those, you know, when you bought a hundred items, you wore six, it's those other 90 (laughs) items that end up and you don't want to really want them. And sadly, nobody else is going to want them either. And that's a problem. Yeah, it's true. And a lot of the, you know, I won't lay all the blame at the feet of fast fashion and it's still thriving and there's right. still probably a place for it. But even they're sort of really rethinking and relooking at how they produce. But their business model is really built on it. You know, you right. got to get that new next thing. Right. So it's tough and it's disrupted significantly how we all shop all the time. Everyone's shopping all the time, as mm-hmm. I said. Mm-hmm. And that is it's just not sustainable. And apparel companies are overproducing. I mean, the waste just from the apparel companies. So, you know, there's other practices. Um, You know, if we're able to better forecast closer to market, all of these things, there's less waste in that process, less sampling. Mm -hmm. If we can have an entirely digital process where we don't have to sell off actual samples, that's all landfill too. And so, you know, we're relooking at all the ways we do business. It's not just about secondhand. That's definitely a piece of it. Um, But there's a lot of waste in the system. Um, And so we need to kind of take it out at every point. The other thing I think that's been really cool that you guys have had that we were talking about over at Cherish is you talked about youth adoption of secondhand and vintage, which is huge. I mean, I can't get my daughter Phoebe off Depop. But the other thing that really I think was helpful is the way that stylists, specifically celebrity stylists, have adopted vintage as a way of making their clients stand out on the runway or really look you know, fantastic, which is, of course, their job. But using vintage in that way, I think, has also helped establish it as like a real credible style alternative to whatever is the newest thing coming down the runway. And when we talk with interior designers, more and more they're getting who play that role. Um, in yeah, our, I was going to say, we have interior designers. Yeah. Who, you know, and I think more and that. more of them are starting to understand. I mean, listen, in a weird way, the home industry because of antiques, which is, you know, a long time collecting category, of course, has always had a relationship with this, an important one. But I think understanding it now from the lens of sustainability with more and more clients expecting or demanding that their projects be completed in a way with a planet friendliness right. is they're kind of starting to play the role that the fashion yeah. stylist has played in it, helping with vintage. I would love the push that I give to the stylist I know, which I think would be a big unlock in terms of consumer understanding and changing behaviors is why does a celebrity have to wear something different on the red carpet every time? Wouldn't it be a statement to show up in the same vintage piece multiple times? Because that sort of mentality that I always have to wear something different to every party, every day at school, every, whatever, that's driving this. Yes. So I push all my stylist friends there. I've not yet won that argument, but I'm trying. <laughs> Do you find in home though that people redo their homes more often than they, I mean, I, they must if you're telling me that what's disposed of. I mean, because the, the pattern of shopping for apparel that I described, is that also happening in the home yes. space? So people it's used to buy stuff. And, I yeah. think it's, it's definitely accelerated. accelerated you know. It's accelerated. And a lot of it is driven by fashion right. and just kind of the expectation of newness. Yeah. 
and the plus side of it is I think more and more people are getting away from the idea of thinking like, I'm going to live in this beige living room that looks like my parents for the next 50 years. And they're, they're in the process of thinking about home design as kind of personal expression in the same way people think about fashion. I think what's great about what we're doing and, and the whole vintage side of the business is you can do that in a way, both from selling what you have and buying on the resale markets that isn't damaging climate-wise. But the other thing I would say that's changed, Jen, that's also speeding it up is moving, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, Americans move now more than ever. And I know you just moved and you see this, this huge surge in spending happens when people move. I've noticed that. Boring stuff like, (laughs) yes. I'm sure you have. You have that visa ball. You have that visa ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you know, it's boring stuff like just towel holders and boring, you know, it's things you have to have for your kitchen and all that. But then there's also like this huge furniture and decor and art as people redecorate. And, you know, Americans are moving now more than ever. So I think that's the other thing that's driving it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, when you people do their home, it's it's less often than you buy fashion. But I think that it is people are more engaged and they're probably a little bit more trend obsessed as well. Wouldn't you say, Anna? I mean, I think that people like even high end decorating, you know, if I look at a lot of projects and Mm -hmm. You know, if I see as somebody else in the business said to me, if I see one more Pierre Jean-Hare chair in the living room, uh, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. they definitely are trends there as well. And it's great yeah. that people are picking up on that great period of design and whatever. But why is it yeah. always the same thing? Just like you were saying, celebrity, they could be able to wear the same dress, but style it totally different, wear different jewelry, wear different, you know, accessories, all of that. So, but that's a challenge. That's why there's the really good stylists make the big bucks in Hollywood. And that's why we all look to really (laughs) talented interior designers because they see things in a slightly different way. And then all the rest of us try and catch up and get inspired by. Exactly. But I I do think that people are more engaged with home, especially after COVID. And we've now, we've got all the shortages and all that. But, you know, the other question is, if we try and break the big machines of fashion and home producing, 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 it's going to take a long time, and it's also going to need a mindset on the part of the consumers. I think young people are aware of it, but how do, you, how do we get consumers to not be so, I'll just buy it and try it out, you know? Yeah, it's a, I won't speak to the home category, but we're actively trying to educate. And, you know, it's a, it's a fine line because we don't want to put it all on the consumer. Like you right. did this, you overconsume because we drove it. Let's right. be honest. Right. right. You create desire. We, Desire's we a, created a powerful it. thing. You know, I, I worked in fashion magazines for a long time. You create yeah. desire that it's fun to do that. But there's we we our our goal is to help educate and do our part as well. So to help educate consumers about the impacts of overconsumption and remind them. And that's what our Buy Better Wear Longer campaign was about, which was a totally digitally driven influencer, micro-influencer, environmental activist-led campaign. And it was intended to be inspiring, but also educational. This is the impact. You know, if you buy a secondhand pair of Levi's. It reduces the impact on the planet by 80% versus buying something new. And you can find your favorite pair that you're going to wear and wear and wear that's unique and all of these things. But I think most folks aren't aware of the impact of overconsumption. Now, our part in that is to provide you with high-quality clothing that you can wear for a very long time that is timeless in its attitude and style. So you won't look ridiculous when you wear it down the street next week or next year or in five years. You're going to look great in five or in 10, just like you will tomorrow. So 
we have obviously an important role. And then of course, we are also striving to make our new product more sustainably in all the ways using more sustainable fibers and processes. And we've been on that journey for some time. And I, you know, we still have progress to make. The, the other piece is post-consumption. We have tailor shops in not all, but most of our stores, um, certainly across Europe, many of our stores here in the United States, and we can help you extend the life of your jeans. So somebody might bring in a pair to trade in for resale on second hand, but they might tell us when they do, I really love this pair. It just doesn't work anymore for X, Y, Z reason. Well, we can fix that or we can turn it into another item. We can turn it into a skirt or shorts or, or whatever patch and repair it because if it's your favorite item, don't you want to hang on to it a little longer? So we are trying to address it through supply chain, through circularity, but also through extending the life through our tailor shop. So we're kind of trying to get at it from all angles. Now, Anna, what about home? Because like it was always a tradition, you know, in the British country houses and the Aristos, you know, they would keep those sofas for hundreds Forever. of years, reupholster them, put yeah. the new springs and everything. But that was not the American way. And I think it, that is changing a bit and people are yeah. getting a little more educated about it. And also the price of a new sofa is enough to make you rethink throwing one out. But how do you think we get that message across? Is it through the decorators with the clients? Is it? Yeah. I mean, all of the above. I think, you know, we talked about the role that designers play as like influencers for the whole industry. I think for us issuing this report on resale and the impact of positive impact of buying vintage and pre-owned is really important to underscore. I think that part of this is the practicality challenge that the new furniture market has right now, which is, I don't know anyone who wants to wait, wait six months for a right. place to sit down. Right. Like, I just don't. Right. And so I think this idea that, you know, you can buy vintage and then customize it, as Jen was talking about, it's different than taking a pair of Levi's and patching and letting things out and all of that, or pegging legs and, I mean, all that fun stuff we used to do. But it, it's also about reupholstering it, relacquering it, refinishing it. And I think one of the things that we see as an opportunity is, you know, I think one thing that keeps people from participating in that or doing that is they don't necessarily have the community resource base right. that they don't know who to call to reupholster something. It's or, very true. I mean, everyone always calls me looking for a reupholster or a guy who can do the refinishing or a lacquer person or it's true. Artisans are hard Artisans. To and so, and I think that there's, I mean, it's such an important part of our industry. And I think providing kind of a community network to help inform people and give them a list of resources to go to to do this kind of stuff is something that, you know, we've always talked a lot about and something that we should get on doing because I think that kind of takes it to the next level for most people in the way that Jen was just talking right. about. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So here's my other question. Mm -hmm. Let's say we all get very virtuous and we all, you know, buy everything recycled. We buy a lot less. We're very aware of environmental impact. We keep things, you know, we patch them, we reposter them. Okay, how do we manage to do that and not become old and dowdy? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, how do we stay fashionable and of the moment? How do you get that balance? Jen, why don't, you know, I mean, I it's easy with Levi's, but we can't wear Levi's even much as I'd well, love to every day. Yeah, you know, speak every day, but I, I do. <laughs> Uh, and as Anna mentioned, I did just move and I went through that process of, you know, pulling everything out of the mm -hmm. boxes. And it's it's alarming how many pairs of Levi's I have. But more alarming is how many. Um, They're valuable. Jean jackets and trucker. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like 
But so I do wear Levi's every day. And I actually, as I went through my closet, got rid of things that weren't because I just don't wear them. Mm-hmm. And I made a commitment to myself about a year and a half ago, right when we were launching secondhand, that I was going to really try to only buy vintage secondhand clothing. I'm focused in the clothing space, except for running shoes, athletic wear. Mm-hmm. I don't want to buy Obviously. any used no, leggings. That's really a little no. gross. No, um, nobody wants that. I, nobody wants that. Um And I could purchase new Levi's or sometimes I'm given them. Um, But outside of that, I was going to really make an effort. And I don't worry at all about being dowdy or looking kind of old. I mean, you have to put in a little effort, but there are so many sites now that, you know, just such incredible stuff that, I mean, just shoes. I mean, that's my thing is shoes and bags. And I mean, you can just find, (laughs) you don't have to worry about looking dowdy at all. So I haven't, I haven't stayed true a hundred percent, but I'm pretty close and I feel Mm -hmm. pretty good about it. I also found, I just started to shop my closet more and put things together in a different way. I think you had an Instagram series on this. Actually, Well, I did. That was right when we went into, well, that was sort of for my own entertainment. I, I, I (laughs) right when, right when we went into, um, when we went into, Lockdown. Lockdown. I, I know it's not the word. I, I can call it that. You um, can call I, it that. I, I, I was. Well, I, I had my favorite pair of Levi's 501s, and I said, I'm going to wear these until lockdown is over. I, I did give up on that because it never <laughs> ended in San Francisco. But I wore the same pair of 501s and just shot my closet to style it differently every day. And I was showing pictures on Instagram. And oh, I was using the line. It's a great creative challenge. It, it was. And I found you could really mix it up. I, I got, it was like, I think I was about 30 weeks in and I was like, if I, I'd never want to wear this pair of Bible again. I'd wear them literally every day. Um, but I moved on to just Levi's and bought nothing new. So, you know, I, I don't know. That doesn't, I, that doesn't concern me. I, I would also just add, I don't think either of us is saying to anybody, don't ever buy anything new. No. Don't ever go shopping, only buy (laughs) used. No one's saying that. But if we all just did it some of the time, if we all wore things just a little bit longer, it would just dramatically reduce the impact. If you wear an item of clothing, remember I said we wear it twice as much and wear it half as long. People are wearing things on average three times. If you wear something nine months longer than what the average is, it reduces the impact by almost 40%. That's huge. And that's very encouraging, actually. I mean, it's not that hard, people. But what you have to do in order to do that is make sure you really like it before you buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You you have to stop and pause and go, am I buying this because I am trying to sort of solve some emotional issue I'm having? Right. Or do I just feel like shopping or, or do I love this? And right. that's what I've really tried to do is just sort of pause and ask myself with furniture too. And I'm in a house and the mm-hmm. space is different and not everything fits right. Mm-hmm. And I just went, vintage furniture shopping this weekend and thought of you, Anna. I'm going to send you pictures of what I got. I got a cute little vanity. It's so cute. But I I just want (laughs) to really, really love the things because I want to keep them longer, not just because it's more sustainable, but it's my home. Like, I I don't know. I don't want it to change out every five minutes. I I feel like the style question, I, I would agree. I don't think it's a problem. To me, the most dowdy thing is what we call the Mick living room that looks like you went into the store and you bought the dining set with the matching oh, hutch. totally. I mean, there's nothing less cool. But there's than, an apparel uh, equivalent of that. Yes. Yeah. And th- I think there's nothing less cool than that. Oh, and there's nothing more boring than a decorator who goes and buys everything in showrooms. Yeah. You know, brand new. It's that's like, whoa, I've I seen, think, you know. I think that 
actually, when you move to the vintage space, the palette and the pantry of ingredients opens up so much and the possibilities for juxtapositions and scale and all kinds of looks that are new and irreplicable really are much more exciting. So I would add to that, that I think that the definition of what is sort of cool and stylish has changed and there's a lot more space because what's cool and stylish is your tastes, your individuality, your self-expression, as opposed to this is the look for the season and everybody needs to wear it. And if you don't wear that, you look out of date and out of style. What I'm learning from this is actually seems to be something rather basic is that, you know, (laughs) well, you know, I mean, all the fascinating details, like what I found hugely encouraging is that as you were saying, Jen, wear it nine months longer and that has cut the impact 40%. I mean, that everybody, we can all do that. And that's hugely encouraging. But I think the other lesson here is that don't impulse shop, buy what you love and buy quality. And those are messages that we have been putting out for a long time. I think people are paying more attention to them now and having, you know, the confidence to say that my style is great style. That's right. And I think that's really, if people can really believe that, they won't be going out and doing impulse emotional buying. You know, they can leave that for the eating, but, um, you know. <laughs> or, or drinking. Or drinking. <laughs> or drinking. You know, but yeah. not doing the shopping. Because it is, ha- what you do buy has an impact on the environment. And what the you planet. just described, when we did the full life cycle analysis about sort of where's the greatest impact when you're sort of shopping, when you're growing the cotton, making the price, it's that. It's extending the life and wearing it longer. That's the mm-hmm. single thing that we can all do quite easily and have a positive impact, meaning less impact on the planet. Mm-hmm. There's lots of other things. They matter, but that has the single greatest impact. Just That's keep stuff. So- Fascinating. And I think that's totally true for home. Don't you agree? It has to be. Yes. Yes. And if you are buying, buy vintage. I mean, it just, or Or something that will become vintage. Exactly. I mean, I think, I think the other thing is, is sometimes it's not going to work for whatever reason, it's not going to be the right fit, but shouldn't you try to do that first? Right. Right. There's a million reasons why. But it feels like it should always be your first stop. I do like that filter. That's a good way to put it. Something that will become vintage. Because I think that is a thread line or a through line for Levi's. Because without even meaning it, we always made Levi's. So they could become vintage. And believe me, I have some. Yeah. I mean, so (laughs) do I. So I I think that's the mindset. You said it well that I try to kind of adopt. Is that even if I'm buying something new, is this something I'll want to keep for a really long time? Or that would hold its value if somebody else wants it down the road. Funny thing, it's like, there's never going to be one thing that's going to solve it, right? Like, it's going to be a million little things that are going to have to come together slowly. And some are going to be more impactful than others. And But combined, it's a really powerful, hopefully can be a really powerful change if if we can all motivate for it. (laughs) Right. And in some ways, that's discouraging because you only go to so many steps. But in another way, it's very empowering because you can take some of those steps. It's not waiting for somebody else to do it, you know, or it's by what you buy, who you buy from, how often you buy, how often you wear, where you get your furniture, where you buy vintage, you know, all those steps really are going to have an impact. And if you tell your friends and family and all of that, it's going to spread. And you know, putting pressure on manufacturers not to 
be dumping vast amounts in landfills and all of that. Lighting all, shirts on fire. Yeah. Right. Exactly. All of that has a big impact. And I think yeah. that is rather encouraging and a rather discouraging. It is. Subject, I think we try. It's know? hard, right? With so many priorities, we try to focus our efforts in the few areas that can have the greatest impact. Right. And that's why we're right. so in love with this idea of more conscious consumption and just being more right. thoughtful because our quality is already there. We have to yeah. continue to make sure that we sustain that level of quality, but in partnership with our fans and our consumers, just reminding folks not to overconsume and just to buy the things you love. It's not even hard. Right. It really isn't right. hard. It's not hard for anybody, <laughs> but right. you have to be thoughtful and, and quite conscious about it. So, and that will have a gigantic impact. And to your point, if you tell your friends and you tell your parents and you tell your kids, it just has this cascading effect. So we're encouraged and super excited. And certainly in the last year and a half to two years, we've seen an acceleration of interest. Well, I think this has been so informative for our listeners. And I think that the cherished resale report on it is going to have a big impact on the industry as well and how designers approach what they you know, buy for their clients and also how they want to see their own work. And Jen, it's just been so fascinating to hear about how much Levi's is doing and how just those small things can make such a dramatic impact. So, you know, I really want to thank both of you, Jennifer Say, Jen, as we call her now that we know her, (laughs) Jen Say of Levi's and Anna Brockway of Cherish. Thank everybody for listening to the Cherish podcast. And thank you, wonderful women, for being here and being so informative. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. You've been listening to the Cherish podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherished Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time.